There's no crying in podcasts. <laughs> Actually, Unless it's in the script. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Today, Tim Hoover, Brooks Reeves, and Brian Rust discuss the actor's life in Boston, and a generation of Goofus and Gallant fans makes its final journey. This is the Unreliable Narrator Theater Group's podcast. Well, my background, um, I was a theater major in college. Uh, I went to Boston College, so non-conservatory uh, uh, liberal arts theater program. Uh, focus was on acting there, um, which is something I'd want to do uh, since I first kind of convinced myself this might be a semi-legitimate career choice uh, mm. back in high school. Um, and now I actually am making my living off of theater and theater-related things. Uh, versus other people I went to college with who have not found work in the communications factory or the English store or the poli-sci district. But I actually am making somewhat of a living as much as one can do so in the Boston area nowadays. I grew up in a part of Maine that was next door to the Montanero Celebration Mime Theater. So all through high school, we didn't get cast in the drama club plays, but we got all the workshops from the mimes and clowns coming to visit. Mm. And then in college, uh, I was part of the children's theater there that formed. So all my formative years learning to be an actor was involved learning how to fall down and um, make jokes that would be appropriate for eight-year-olds and in general run around dressed like various animals and i've sort of carried that ethos into the you know the roles i've gone into later on in theater um a lot of what i've done is renfair-esque interactive theater like birthday parties i did my highest paying job ever was Austin Powers' Dumber Brother. I was, <laughs> I was Dumber Brother. I was him as part of a quote team of secret agents, unquote, as a morale booster for the Mother Hubbard dog food convention, which took place over a day and a half. Um, just, you know, um, entertaining people at their parties and promoting the Mother Hubbard morale, which, since no one has ever heard of that brand, needed some promoting. Mm. Um, <laughs> loud, um, dumb, and often named Bob. I've had about nine characters <laughs> named Bob. I was born and raised in Wyoming. Uh, I moved here about seven years ago. Um, I did do a lot of theater in college, but I, I didn't study it. Um, I actually, for a long time, I thought of myself mostly as a playwright until I was realized I was doing, I wasn't writing anything, and I was acting all the time. I, I was part of a, um, a residency program with the Polinaire. I did a show last fall called, it was the Golden Girls musical. I played oh, yeah. Blanche Devereaux. <laughs> you know, and I, I temp on the side, you know, I, it's... I mean, it's not great money, but every little bit helps. You know, I, I try and do commercial and, and film work when and if I can. Um, sometimes that goes well. Last year was great for theater-wise. It wasn't so great for, like, film-wise, you know. I um, So, comes I guess. I, I do guided tours of uh, Boston and Boston's history, so I often refer to the Booth brothers as being kind of like the Baldwins. <laughs> um, John John Wilkes a little bit more like 
Stephen and Edwin being a bit more like Alec. I, I can see that. Yeah. yeah. God, you know someday Stephen Baldwin, Baldwin, like that press release is going to go out from AP and it's like, oh, what did you do? <laughs> <laughs> uh. One thing about the way things are now is that even when you're in Boston, a lot of your... W- Work can be outside Boston. It's interesting how podcasts have completely changed the acting field with people like sending in clips to people in England. There's like one podcast that recruited internationally because they wanted five people from different countries in their cast mm-hmm. who could speak the different languages. Mm. Um, I'm sending sketches to a friend in Brighton who is really good at reading them and sending back feedback and it's weirdly international but at the same time hyper local because I hardly go to places outside the MBTA radius which is a crime on my part I know there's a lot of really cool stuff going on in places like Manchester and Providence it's always like rolling the dice when you try to get from one place to another and that's when there hasn't been a derailment yeah, yeah. Green Line, week and a half ago. Uh, red Line, last week. So, watch out, Orange Line. <laughs> it's coming. The casino is coming to the Orange Line. I rode it oh. yesterday. Yeah, they already started having the casino uh, shuttle bus driving through Everett. Um, I've just come in from there beforehand. Uh, my parents still live there. It's where I grew up. Um, and... They're supposedly having these casino shuttle buses going through Everett at strange times all throughout the day and night to pick people up and drop people off from the casino. Um, Some of it will be used by the casino workers. I think their intention is that people will be able to go in there and gamble when they want to at four in the morning. Hooray! Of course. Yay. Any casino <laughs> means more opportunities for very strange events that they'll need cast for. Mm. So, in that sense, we would like to welcome our <laughs> new casino to the Boston area and think of us if you're playing on a haunted house or other event. I can vouch for the fact that monkeys do not like oversized rubber heads because I found this out the hard (laughs) way. Yeah. Um, I did a corporate gig, just a party event, and they wanted it to be Halloween themed, but also Raiders of the Lost Ark themed. It was kind of an odd blend. So I had a giant Frankenstein head, as you do, and there was an organ grinder with a little capuchin monkey who seemed very nice until Mm -hmm. I put the head on and then he freaked out. Mm. Um, It is not something you see in nature very much, a giant Frankenstein head. So I had to spend the entire party keeping an eye on the monkey and making sure I was on the other end of the room from him. Very little peripheral vision in a giant Frankenstein head. So it was pretty challenging. Mm. And yeah... I danced too, so it was it was a very tricky night. Yeah, 
Yeah, cor- corporate gigs are often the strangest ones because mm-hmm. there's usually one person who has a very specific idea of what they think is going to happen and what they think they want everyone to do, and then a completely different person who's in charge of making some form of that happen, and very little of the communication gets through to any of the performers. <laughs> this dates me, but when the Democratic National Convention happened... Mm-hmm. Um, I did one of the parties for that, and I should have spent even like a couple hours getting to know the faces of some of these high-level politicians so I would recognize them and not be completely caught off guard. Did not happen. (laughs) I was the fortune teller that night, and I just went around making things up really wildly. I told a lot of people that they would be in a reality TV show. They seemed to like that. (laughs) But if they were in politics, uh, they definitely was definitely true. Oh yeah, but Harry Reid liked me and gave me a hug, so that was, I guess, better than a tip, which I did not get. Yeah. Get up! Get up! Get up! Get up! Get up! I think for with new works, it uh, the team that's involved becomes much more important. Being able to feel things out with the other with the other actors and with uh, director, any dramaturgy, um, stage managers, because uh, seeing their reactions to everything and talking about it together really helps shape things much more quickly and much more defined manner. Um, the better team you've got. One of the uh, uh, one of the best experiences I've had was uh, working on a new script for a two-person show, but there was such a wonderful team around it. Things just felt so cohesive, and we had a uh, we had a live musician working in it who became, mm-hmm. while he had no lines, he very much was part of the cast because everything was kind of got this kind of musicality to it. Um, that was the the first show I did with Vagabond Theater Company, for the theater group, um, uh, doing uh, Marone Langsner's. Um, uh, I apologize, Marone, if I mispronounced your last name. <laughs> Burning up the dictionary. That was a lot of fun. Mm. Yeah. If you know the theater group, eventually it gets easier to get a sense in the back of your head what sort of feel they're going mm-hmm. for. Like PMRP, the live radio group in town, um, they can do very different plays, but they're usually going to want a very crisp, pronounced tone and a pretty fast pace just mm-hmm. moving on. It's sort of... This is a really weird metaphor that I'm going to go for, but it's sort of like a contradance where the other actors are the other dancers and mm-hmm. the directors the band. Mm-hmm. And so you're listening to the music, but you're also moving or trying to move in sync when things go well. Mm-hmm. It's really good when the writer's on hand, though, because usually if you're watching their face, you know, when they flinch, you know you're going off their vision. Which sometimes is not a bad thing, but <laughs> oh boy, I hate I hate when um, it was an early early lesson for me to like like try to inject Botox into my face <laughs> because you want you know you want the director to be the one. I mean, I I guess you know the playwright director relationship is fraught with peril. Oh, so much. But uh, I know I know how it works. I mean, they should be watching the director, <laughs> even if I am not. You know, even if it's not my thing, you know, maybe it's part of a process that leads to, 
something. I had a production in New York one time, and um, 15 minute play, and I came in and uh, they, they ran the show, and they said, they asked how, how I liked it, and I, I, I actually liked it, but I sort of stammered. And they re- I could see in their faces, they were like, they were like, uh. Oh, and no. it was during, te- it was one of those things where like tech rehearsal is also dress rehearsal. Mm. One of those like yeah. horrible situations. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but they, uh, they, they did it. Uh, they really kicked ass and they actually won the night. There was an audience vote. Oh. And they won the night. And they, when we were all having dinner later, they were like, so how was that? <laughs> I was like, it was very good. <laughs> but uh, playwrights dead in your face. That's my advice. Mm, or wear a mask. It increases your, uh, you know, air of mystery, too. <laughs> If we're going to fight Putin, then we're going to need to round up the nicest agents the West has to offer. We need to form a new group, a group that will work together, to inspire each other the way Gallant inspired us, to beat back Putin's influences, clean up Facebook, and bring my brother to justice. It's a tall order. Do you think you could do it? It would be my honor. Goofus v. Gallant presents Niceness League, Part 1. I'm Lieutenant Goofus, here to see Tom Hanks. For the last time, Goofus, no. I'm done with your childhood antics. Now go away. I've got to finish filming my new movie, where I play a soldier who drove an experimental car weapon in World War II. That sounds like one of your kind of roles, all right. Face it, Goofus. There's not one word that can make me join you. Not one word. Gallant. No. Yes. Good God. All right, everybody, we're shutting down production. Tom Hanks is going to play a hero in real life this time. It's really hard to find nice people these days. That's why I've submitted an advertisement. Well, children, here I am. Mary Poppins! Didn't you ask for a nice person with rosy cheeks to join your league? Well, here I am. I did. Well, hello. My name's Goofus, and this is my associate, Tom Hanks. What are your niceness abilities? I am very good at coming into situations whimsically and telling you exactly what you need to do and no backtalk. But then I say something charming, so you know that deep down I'm relatable. I have to admit, that sounds like a pretty effective form of niceness. I also have the power of flight. Now, let me take the measure of you. What? Oh, let's see. Tom Hanks... uh, my measuring tape says that you are America's dad. How lovely. Thank you. And Goofus, the measuring tape says that you are a lazy garbage human. Oh dear. The tape must have been spending too much time on Facebook. I'm tired of people stalking shit about me. Why don't you turn that measuring tape on yourself, huh? All right, I will. Oh, look, it says Mary Poppins, perfect in every, every way. Every way, of course. That measuring tape is rigged. Now, Goofus, a good young man accepts failure with the wash of a summer breeze. Well, Miss Poppins, I can't promise that I'll win any congeniality contests, but it's like they say, B people hire C people, A people hire A people. Welcome to Niceness League. How delightful. You know, if you want the world's nicest people... 
There's one guy you can't do this without. If you can find him. Way ahead of you. Are you sure this is the place? The Gallantometer says we're very close. I should never have let him name all the inventions. Gallant invents a handy global positioning system to benefit the team. Goofus wastes his free time watching reruns of Modern Family. Shut up, announcer! That show got me through some really bad times! Now what? I don't know. Well, nothing like a friendly hello. Hello? 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 An avalanche! We're gonna die! This is almost sadder than the end of Toy Story 3! Come here. My god! Get in! Alright, I guess I have to do the whole thing now, don't I? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? Need to change into a sweater. Where's my goddamn sweater? I never thought the rumors were true. What happened? At age 74, he finally ran out of faith in niceness. He saw no way out, so he faked his death. He's lived here, in Antarctica, ever since. There are always clues, but it's only now, with his renewed popularity, that I found out enough to track him down. And now you have him. You have Mr. Rogers. What are you going to do with them? We need your help. Gallant has defected to the Russians. And what do you want me to do about it? No one embodies niceness more than you. Oh, forget it, kid. I'm all washed up. Look at all that's happened since I've been away. September 11th, Iraq, the financial crisis, family separation as a government policy. There's no time for niceness anymore. As Stalin said, how many divisions has niceness? Squat divisions, that's how many. I've never been more depressed than I am listening to this. Admit it! The only place niceness works is Antarctica among the penguins. Although, some of them have been playing too hard lately. Mr. Rogers, we've got a lot of niceness in this company. But without your help, it'll never happen. It's you we need, sir. It's you we like. It's every part of you. Your skin, your eyes, your feelings, whether old or new. I hope that you'll remember, even when you're feeling blue. It's you we like. It's you yourself. It's you we like. I remember writing that song. No one's ever sung it to me before. I learned it in order to play you in a movie. Tom Hanks is playing me in a movie? Wow! Maybe the world isn't so bad after all. Does that mean... Just let me uncrate my collection of sweaters and air them out overnight. Yeah! 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 Send your remarks on topics mentioned in this show to unreliablenarratorpodcast at gmail.com. It may be read on a future show. This program featured Tim Hoover, Brooks Reeves, and Brian Rust, with Lori DeCesar as Mary Poppins and Jacqueline Weatherby as the announcer. Scripted material copyright 2019. 
all rights reserved. Visit unreliable-narrator.com or Twitter at unarrator. <laughs>